You're listening to a Sin podcast. You can listen to this show live by tuning your radio to 90.7 or online at sin.org.au. So, we have a really exciting interview right now on Represent with the federal MP for Chisholm, Karina Garland. Welcome to the show, Karina. We are super excited to have you. Oh, thank you. Oh, thanks so much for having me on. I, um, many years ago, worked on Sin shows myself, so it's really special to be able to be on a show now. Yeah, I bet. And I actually didn't tell Freddie and Naya that um, before the interview and their jaws just <laughs> what? dropped. <laughs> what shows did you work on? What? <laughs> oh, I was on a few different shows. I did The Hoist, you know, the morning breakfast show. Oh, yeah. Uh, I helped coordinate some of the, the news readers. Uh, and I worked on Panorama. Oh, that's the current so affairs good. Program. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, panel's mm. still going. <laughs> oh, maybe they should be doing this interview. Well, <laughs> luckily, we're here. <laughs> oh, that's great. Excellent. That's amazing. Oh, my God. Yeah. How did you not tell us this, Bridie? <laughs> because I wanted to surprise you. <laughs> All right, so yeah, Karina is a former academic at the University of Sydney, and she's got two major universities in her electorate of Chisholm, which is Monash and Deakin and is on the House of Reps Committee for Employment, Education and Training. But we have a bit of a topic for this interview. It's very relevant for all three of our lives. Um, we're going to be mostly focusing on the university's interim accord report. So, Karina, can you give us a rundown or give our listeners a rundown? Yes, absolutely. So, our government has undertaken a review into the higher education system in Australia. So, it's known as the, the Australian Universities Accord. Uh, and we've uh, recently had the interim report handed down by the chair of that committee um, or the expert panel that's advising the government, rather, uh, Professor Mary O'Kane. And that interim report contains some key recommendations that our government is taking on um, action on immediately, as well as a whole range of possible areas for reform that the community is invited to give feedback on. So it's actually a really exciting process now where we have this document out in the world uh, where people are able to participate in the conversation and debate around what we want universities in Australia to look like in the future. Now, um, I'll quickly run you through those five key uh, priorities uh, that we're taking action on that the um, interim report identifies. The first is, and you might have seen some of these in the news too, the first is to establish up to 20 uh, additional regional university study hubs uh, and that, that will um, enable people who may not have access to a physical campus to be able to get assistance uh, with their university studies and to access technology uh, and other services. We're going to abolish the 50% pass rule, which was introduced as part of the Job Ready Graduate Scheme. And that's had a really disproportionately negative impact on students from poorer backgrounds and from the regions. Um, and so I think it's a really good step in, in terms of getting more equity in the system for people that may have had difficulty accessing university education to get rid of that rule. We're extending um, demand-driven funding to all First Nations students who are eligible for the courses they apply for. So currently only First Nations students in regional and remote Australia were eligible for that demand-driven funding, but we've un we're going to unlock it uh, for uh, First Nations students regardless of whether they're from a regional and remote um, place or whether they're from a suburb or a city. 
We're going to extend the higher education continuity guarantee for further two years, which is really just about providing funding certainty for universities as this whole reform accord process rolls out. Uh, and we're going to, and this has gotten quite a bit of attention in the media, work with state and territory governments to improve university governments, including making sure that we take more action on student safety on campus. Wow. Yes. Um, That's a lot of information. That is a lot. It sounds like an absolutely (laughs) stacked report. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, and a figure that really jumped out to me when I was having a look at the report is the forecast that in the near future, over 50% of jobs Mm. will require a bachelor's degree or higher. But at the moment, we're seeing that there are fewer people going to uni. So why do you think that is? Oh, look, I think it's a combination of factors. I think, uh, you know, uh, we we really haven't shifted the dial a lot in this country on making sure that people from more marginalised and a low socioeconomic backgrounds have been able to access university. So, you know, there's, we definitely need to do more to encourage and enable people to be able to have the opportunity to aspire to higher education, uh, you know, qualification through universities. I do think as well uh, uh, people are really weighing up with cost of living pressures, uh, you know, the, the obligations to pay fees, to find housing, etc. Um, you know, near the, the university of their choice. And so I'm really pleased that in addition to the accord process, Professor Bruce Chapman, who is the architect of HEX, is looking at our fee structures uh, because I think that is becoming a bit of a drag on people wanting to go to university. But our focus as a government, as you say, is in making sure that we have uh, a system that is able to meet the needs of the future uh, in terms of the skills demands that, that will exist in, in the community and in our economy. And part of that has um, got to be about expanding uh, the, the number of people who are eligible for university. And that means uh, making sure that we have a really high-quality education system from the very earliest years right through to post-secondary, but also that we're making sure that truly it is a system that is for everybody and that regardless of your background, of your parents' income, that you're able to aspire to a university uh, education. That's definitely a lot to like look at. But um, what you said with the cost of living versus kind of what you have to sacrifice to be able to earn enough money to survive, um, I think we are seeing personally, at least for me from anecdotal my people that I know at uni and I'm sure for you guys as well. Oh, yeah. Um, people are definitely prioritising their jobs over their study. Do you think that maybe the government should be doing more to help with that cost of living, especially for students and for international students? We've seen a lot about in the media. Well, we've, we've increased the rental assistance uh, payments, which is a really great uh, thing for people who are living out of home and needing to pay for rent and uh, I think, as I said, you know, I don't want to preempt any of the recommendations to come out of Bruce Chapman's review of the fee structure, but we're very live to the fact that things have um, perhaps uh, been stacked a little bit against our young people in terms of the, the fee structures at universities, so that's why we're looking at that. Uh, look, I do think that... Uh, um, you know, we are at a at a point in time where people are finding it really difficult to um, balance 
work and university with our rising costs. I was in the same boat when I was at university, but I reflect back and I think that I was really lucky to be able to find an inner city uh, place to live and uh, be able to support myself uh, in a retail job. But um, nowadays, I think more and more people are struggling with insecure work. So, uh, and you know, unfortunately, a lot of people um, have you know, in, in uh, uh, insecure work report wage theft, and that's disproportionately affecting young people. So, the changes our government is determined to make in that area too, in terms of giving people both flexibility to work in casual jobs if they'd like, but also to have the option to have a more secure job, as well as uh, taking action on wage theft uh, will hopefully uh, mean that people have more money in their pockets to support themselves while they are trying to balance study and work. But you know, our, our government absolutely acknowledges that things are pretty tough for young people. Uh, you know, I know that even um, you know, looking back from when I studied university to now, the fees have increased by something like 140%. So it is getting more expensive, which is, again, why we're looking at uh, the fee structures. We're looking at the Job Ready Graduate Scheme, which uh, for someone like me who studied the humanities would have uh, resulted in really ultra expensive um, degree. Uh, You know, we're looking at all of those things because we do recognise that um, things are pretty tough for young people. And, you know, we'd hate for costs to be the reason people choose not to go to university. Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot on your plate right now. You know, there's a lot to work on um, for the government. Is there any sort of time frame that we can expect for these reforms? Like more, you know, are there any that are kind of higher on the priority list in particular? Well, the first five that I mentioned are a priority right now. And uh, Minister Jason Clare introduced the legislation to uh, bring into effect some of those priority recommendations just this week. Uh, so that that's happening right now. Uh, we're also uh, continuing with the consultation process uh, with the community and I encourage uh, everyone who's listening and has an interest in higher education to read the report and consider making a submission to this review process too uh, with the final report to be handed down in December and that will be informed absolutely by conversations and submissions that people on the expert panel have had with students, academics and other parts of the community right across the country. Uh, In my own community, we've had a higher education survey running for a couple of weeks now. We've had hundreds and hundreds of submissions uh, and that's really informing my work as a local representative to make sure that I'm able to advocate and understand the issues affecting my community in the area of higher education. So there's stuff happening right now. Uh, There's opportunity for people to give feedback uh, and uh, we'll know more about where that feedback is going to lead uh, in December when we get that final report from uh, this review process. Oh, that's definitely so important to have people be able to give their submissions, um, whether that's to you, to the local member or to the um, report in general as well. Yeah, I think that definitely fits our uh, demographic of listeners, young people, knowing that they they can get a voice in this. Um, And you mentioned an increased cost from when you were at uni versus now. And Mm. we've seen increasing calls for free university education, especially in the economic climate of today, including from UniMel Vice-Chancellor Duncan Maskell. Will the government commit to making university more affordable or even free? 
look, I don't want to, as I said earlier, I don't want to preempt uh, the work that Bruce Chapman is doing. We take this really seriously, which is why we have you know, the person who created the HEC system uh, looking at what we can do in terms of the fee structures in our university system. Uh, and I'm sure you know, he will have um, some really excellent suggestions for our government in terms of what that looks like. Uh, I think it's really important to note that the reason HECS came in um, when it did uh, following a period of free university education is because it effectively meant with the free system that there was a cap on places. So it really wasn't a very accessible uh, uh, system for a lot of people in our community. And if we do really want to expand access to university and our government really, really does want to do that, we have to make sure that we find a way to do that that's going to be sustainable and not limit people's opportunity in the way that um, the previous system with uh, fee, um, free university did. So it's really important to get the balance right. That's why we've got you know, one of the best minds around in the world on this topic, Bruce Chapman, working on it. Every day I look at my hex debt and I get so sad. So, you look at your hex debt um, every day? Well, whenever, <laughs> whenever I'm feeling like I'm having a really good day and I need to humble myself, I log on oh to my, my gov and really just, you know, Gosh. let it rip. Um, but I guess there are some students in America that are feeling a little bit better about their student debt. Their student debt. Joe mm. Biden recently cancelled $39 billion worth of student debt. Could we expect something similar in Australia, maybe, at some point soon? Hopefully, fingers crossed. <laughs> maybe, especially for you, Freddie. Okay. Especially for me. <laughs> Again, I've no, look, a couple of things. Firstly, uh, if you're having a good day, just enjoy it. You know, don't, <laughs> don't bring it. <laughs> um, but, but the other thing is, too, look... Again, I really don't want to preempt what Bruce Chapman's findings are uh, here. And, you know, the U United States system is, is quite different to Australia's in a lot of ways uh, in that they, they don't really have as many uh, public institutions. Well, they've got, sorry, they've got more private institutions than we do. We have a really excellent system in Australia where most of our universities are public institutions, which means that people are able to access Commonwealth-supported places uh, and a whole range of other government support. And that's just not available in other countries, including, um, you know, for a lot of people in the United States, which is uh, why those cost of living pressures and the amount of debt people find themselves in uh, is so you know, astronomical in other places. So the HEC system has worked really well uh, in Australia um, to a point, obviously now people are finding themselves um, quite stressed and stretched. And I hear from people and, and from you know students' parents as well all the time about this issue. Again, we're taking this really seriously, and that's why we're we're looking really deeply at this um, and taking the opportunity of this whole reform process to think about uh, what we want our system to look like. And affordability and access is really key to that. Yeah, it's really good to hear that, like, that's the priority for the government. I think for all of us Absolutely. being in uni, like, yeah, affordability and access would be probably the two issues that we can kind of relate to the most. And whenever I'm having a bad day, I just remember at least we're at, <laughs> at least, least our system's there. better than America's. Yeah. So I will say that. Um, but it isn't just uni students that are struggling. We've also seen staff struggle in the uni sector. Yeah. So what are the recommendations and what are, what, the, what are the potential changes that the government is planning uh, in order to better retain staff in the sector and things around sort of payment? Mm -hmm. We've seen some strikes around that. 
what are the recommendations around reforms for staff? Well, great, great question. And look, I have to acknowledge too that I have been um, a staff member at a university as an academic. I was a member of the NTU, so full disclosure there. Uh, um, and you know, I meet with the NTU and staff at universities really regularly and hear from them. Look, uh, the fifth recommendation that I sort of ran through that list pretty quickly earlier, I know, um, that looks to university governments or governance also includes making sure universities are really good employers. And so, of course, thinking about uh, you know, job security and fair wages is fundamental to being a good employer, really. Uh, so that is something that is one of those priority areas of action that uh, our government, the federal government, will be working with states and territories on uh, and uh, I think is you know, a very um, important part of uh, our reform. And, you know, I think it was pretty terrible, and that's probably quite the understatement, that during the worst part of COVID, uh, universities were locked out of JobKeeper. And that meant lots of really talented academics left the sector uh, because there was no way that they could afford to stay. Um, so uh, that was a really dreadful uh, moment, I think, in, in our history as a country and what that did to higher education. So it's really important that we, we don't leave um the employees of universities behind when we, um, you know, think about our economy, uh, which the previous government did. And I'm, you know, really pleased that our government, and I'm not surprised our government is taking it so seriously, but I think there's a real shift in the way that we actually really do value universities and academics. Absolutely. I think, um, I don't think any of the three of us were at uni pre-COVID, so we no. don't really know what changed oh, wow. like with the academics that would have related to us at all, but I can imagine it was very different. <laughs> mm. Yeah, well, I mean, we, you know, it's just a fact that well, people were effectively uh, not able to access the income support in the way that they were able to in other industries. So, of course, people have to make decisions about yeah, survival really, and yeah, absolutely. it shouldn't come as surprise that some people had to make the decision to leave the sector, and and that's really terrible that those really talented, bright people uh, had to walk away from something that they loved. Yeah, definitely. So this report, it's not even the final product, really. It's the interim no. report. <laughs> so can we expect more drastic recommendations or anything different at the end of the year, or do you think it will just be sort of a more detailed summary of effectively? these points well as i said this this uh interim report is uh really an invitation to participate right, uh, okay. for the community so really there are lots of questions in there there are lots of areas of potential reform that the authors identify and so now we're in uh, a period of time where there's opportunity for people to give their feedback uh to share their ideas and thoughts and that is what is going to shape that final report. So obviously what's outlined in that report gives a good sense of where the thinking is. And I think it's really great that we're, you know, the report is so transparent about the ideas that uh, are being considered. Uh, but this is really about a public conversation about what we want our university sector to look like 
And there are lots of different people who will have lots of different views. Uh, and it's a great opportunity to participate and uh, contribute to shaping the future of Australian universities. Oh, absolutely. And I think part of that, and you, you did mention this earlier, uh, in, in shaping universities and what we want to see in them is safety uh, in the environment of university. And what will the federal government do to tackle specifically sexual violence at university? Well, there's a, there's a couple of things. So as I mentioned, one of the priority actions that we're taking is to bring together state and territory governments um, and work on, on, on that issue. But it's not the only thing our government's doing. So last year, our government, in partnership with state and territories all across Australia, so there's national agreement, uh, and it released our national plan to end um, gendered violence effectively in a generation, which is pretty ambitious. Definitely and ambitious. To do that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but but I think it it's it, it needs to be, right? So, you know, we've got a, a real problem with uh gendered violence and uh we do need to I think really um be brave and try and do everything we can to eliminate it. And part of that will require us to and is requiring and we're doing it already, working with educational institutions, whether that's uh in schools or in universities to make sure that we're able to change cultures, change behaviours uh, so that we are able to meet that ambition of eliminating gender violence in a generation. So obviously uh, there's more to be done and we've never been uh, you know, a government that shies away from saying that. There clearly needs to be be more done. We, we've we've come some way as a society on the issues of gendered violence, and I see, you know, myself as you know someone who went to university quite some time ago. The progress universities have made on this particular issue of student safety, but the work hasn't been completed. Uh, there's a lot more that we we can and should do, and our government's really committed to that. It's complicated for lots of different reasons, but just because it's hard doesn't mean you know, we have we shouldn't do you know it's too hard to do. Not at all. We're up for this challenge. Um, it's going to take a lot of work, uh, but we're determined to get it done because it's really unacceptable um, the the level of devastation to people's lives that that happens when they experience um, you know harassment or assault on campus. Uh, you know, it's it's heartbreaking actually to think about all of those bright futures um, that were really um, you know, brought to an end uh, effectively because of the interruption to their study, that harassment and assault, um, you know, basically meant for them. Uh, and I don't want to see anyone have their study interrupted or people to um, disconnect from study and walk away from it because they've had a really negative experience. It's not fair. Yeah, it's so um, kind of refreshing to hear people talking about it now. I feel like it was kind of really brushed mm. under the rug for a long time. So absolutely, definitely yeah. a process to address, but <laughs> it's good that we've yeah. started the process. Yeah. And I think to address that, you do need to have the conversation about it as well. So it's really good to hear that. And it's good to hear that we've got a government that's ready to tackle those issues. But I guess to sort of, we've talked mm. a lot about education today. We want to take sort of a little step back from that because you've only been an MP for just over a year. <laughs> which is pretty exciting. How's it been in your first year as the MP of Chisholm? Oh, look, it is an absolute privilege. It's a funny job because um, 
it's very varied, but it's also a job where I don't know how long I'm going to have the opportunity to do this. And it will largely not be up to me. So I'm working as hard as I can for as long as I have. Um, I only know that I've got until the next election. So I don't ever take a moment, a day for granted. Um, and you know, going to citizenship ceremonies, community groups, speaking to people about um, the issues that matter to them at mobile offices is, is, is so satisfying. And then being able to go to Canberra and um, advocate for my community in conversations with ministers, in speeches I'm able to deliver in the parliament uh, and to further policy work of our government through my committee work. It's just all an absolute privilege and a pleasure and it's a huge learning curve but every week is, is easier than the last, which I think is a really good sign of progress. That definitely sounds like progress. Um, yeah, I can imagine it would be a bit of a shock to the system going from campaigning to actually being in parliament. Um, what was that change like yeah. for you? Extremely strange. Uh, look, in many ways, of course, you know what happens if you're going to be successful in an election. And I always thought of the election really and the campaign is a very long and a very strange job interview with my community. Uh, and it's wonderful to have been um, given the job. Uh, and, you know, Parliament is its very own strange place because it's got rules and processes and procedures that are unlike any other workplace, uh, really. So that takes some getting used to. But... Uh, a lot of the rest of the work, it's just listening to people, uh, having conversations, problem solving, helping people, uh, and you know, it's great that we're actually I'm actually able to now do that as opposed to in the campaign when you know not in government, you're not elected, uh, you, you can't fix some of the problems in the community. And now I, I can, and it's really um, you know such an honour. Yeah, well, that's so great to hear. Um, obviously, Parliament is yeah. a very weird place. Um, weird to the point that when a bill maybe fails once in the Senate and comes back to the House, it could um, mean that there might be an early election. What is your kind of position on this whole kind of debacle we're seeing with this housing bill? I was about to say it's a very specific example, Bridie. <laughs> Where'd you get that from? <laughs> Look, there are... They've, historically, there have been lots of triggers for uh, the double dissolution option. Uh, it's only ever an option. And it's just one of those, again, it's just part of the rules of the parliament in terms of what you do in, in case, uh, you know, bills fail to proceed in particular ways. Uh, so uh, there are lots of funny little rules like that. Uh, if you read any of the sort of the standing orders or the practice, of the House of Representatives. I couldn't, unfortunately, tell you about too much of what happens in the Senate. That's a whole separate set of rules that I'm definitely not familiar with. Uh, so, look, it, it's just it's really uh, um, a, a product of process rather than something that's necessarily absolutely going to happen. It just means that there could be uh, a new election called because a certain... Um, conditions have been met uh, in relation to the passage of legislation, uh, but it's certainly not uh, something that must happen or or will happen necessarily. Yeah, well, I think that probably will add a little bit of 
security into how people are looking at Parliament, maybe? Yeah, I think it also, it also probably would interest people if it was to happen, interest young people in seeing that, that yeah. process. Um, and on, on that, how would you recommend young people who are interested in politics get their foot in the door? Oh, gosh, that's such a good question. Look, there's lots of different ways to get involved. Uh, you know, I think as well, having a broad view of politics is probably good. Not necessarily thinking of politics as necessarily joining a political party, but finding the issues that you really care about. So for a lot of young people, I know it will be higher education, but there'll be lots of other issues too. The environment uh, and climate change, of course, are really important issues. Um and, you know, involve yourself in the things that you care about because all of this stuff is political and it might not be attached to a political party, but they're absolutely issues of, of politics. Um, if you want to join a party, uh, find the one that aligns with your values. And uh, I, there's a lot of volunteering opportunities and and so try those out and see how that, that sort of suits you uh, there's lots of stuff to do in political parties. M- most political parties rely heavily on the work of volunteers, whether it's in policy development or campaign work. Uh, that's, that's, that's so many opportunities. But as I said, you know, I think find out what motivates you really. Uh, politics, uh, for me, is all about trying to make the world a better place. And so I've got some particular issues I really care about and think are kind of fundamental to doing that. Uh, And, you know, for me, the Labor Party was a good fit for my values. Uh, But that's, of course, not going to be the case for everybody. Absolutely. I feel like politics really is sort of a place for everyone because they can all bring sort of what they really care about to the table. Definitely. And Karina, we're going to let you go in a minute, but just before we let you go, uh, to loop back to the uni stuff before, how can people make their voices heard with this Universities Accords uh, report? Well, have a look at the report, the interim report. It's available online uh, at the Department of um, Education and the Accord website. Uh, speak to your local MP uh, about the issues in it that you are wanting to to raise and give feedback on. Uh, you know, if you live in Chisholm, please get in contact with me. Please do my higher education survey. <laughs> but I think democracy works best when there's lots of participation and local representatives like myself are able to hear people's views. So whether it's about the university's accord process, which, as I said, is open for feedback and I really encourage people to give their feedback, but whatever the issue is, you should never feel shy about contacting your local politician uh, and uh, letting them know what issues you expect them to advocate for you on. Amazing. Well, that was excellent. like basically a who's who of all of the important <laughs> issues in politics at the moment. <laughs> We've covered it perfectly. Thank yeah. you so much, Karina. Yeah, thank you so much for your thank time. Thank you. We have loved having oh, my you absolute- on. <laughs> Love chatting to you. You've been listening to a Sin Media podcast where young people run the show.